there's one customer who followed up with me about a year ago and she was like, after launching my quiz, my list grew by a ton. My business grew like crazy. I got a book deal. I'm basically living my dream life now. And it started with the quiz. And that's not an uncommon story for us. Hey, bootstrappers. Welcome to Bootstrap Stories, the podcast where founders, marketers, and thoughtful leaders share the most actionable tips on building a successful business. After meeting with hundreds of bootstrappers in the past years, I figured out that we all struggle to grow our businesses. But the truth is that most of us don't know where to ask for help or advice. That's why I decided to start this podcast, to give you all the keys to succeed at every stage of your business, all the tested strategies for solving your struggles and taking your business to a new level. No fluff, no bullshit, only a real talk between friends that help each other succeed. So today, my guest for this episode is Josh Haynam, co-founder of Interact. Josh, welcome to Bootstrap Stories. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm really excited about our chat today and learn, you know, like how you bootstrap like uh, Interact. So can you give us maybe a bit of uh, numbers and background on the company? Yeah, totally. So we're currently just over 2.7 million in annual recurring revenue, approaching three. So uh, pretty much already there, which is really exciting. We've been in operation since 2013. We started working on the basics of the company in 2011. So it's been just about a decade that we've been building it fully bootstrapped, which, you know, there's lots of reasons for that, that we can get into later. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a long journey, you know, 10 years in software is uh, a really long time. We've seen like lots of cycles of companies come and go, and we've kind of just taken this very methodical, like we're the turtle totally in the turtle and hair race. Um, Yeah, and that's kind of the background of it. I started with my friend, a couple of friends in college, and that's where we got uh, our beginnings. And before that, I was an entrepreneur since I was like 15 years old. So I never had a real job. My co-founders never had a real job. So we like to joke. <laughs> and, and now we're here. So that's, that's how it uh, got started. That's really cool. And uh, can you kind of like uh, pitch a bit, interact, like what does it do? Who is it for? Yeah, totally. So it's a quiz building tool. And basically it's a quiz building tool for growing your email list. So you can create an interactive quiz that draws people in and you know has a conversation with them, pulls them into your world. You get some back and forth, almost like you would if you were doing a consultation, like a 15 minute chat type of thing. But it's all automated. At the end of it, you can ask them for their email address uh, before the results. It's optional. And then if they put in that email, it connects up to all of your other systems, your email marketing. You can filter based on answers to questions and how which result people got. So it's a really great way of both building an email list. It's super effective for that. And also filtering, segmenting, getting people into buckets, which is becoming more and more important, especially with the way that email is. And there's a lot more... You know, stringencies around sending bulk emails and blasts and stuff like that. The systems are getting really uh, tight on that. So now it's becoming more important. And this tool is a great way of you know really building that relationship and sending more personalized emails. Nice. That's, that's really interesting. And uh, who's like kind of like your target audience? Is it bigger brands or smaller brands or a bit of everyone? 
Yeah. So it's interesting. The first five years or so, we really just tried to work with everybody. And I was just doing a retrospective on our zero to 1 million journey. And the first five years, we were all over the place. We tried everything. We worked with giant brands like the American Red Cross and Forbes and you know just huge companies. And then around year five, we really realized that the group that was having the most success with it was actually online creators, like course creators, coaches, small e-commerce brands also kind of falls into that. And so the last three or so years, we've really focused on that audience and gone deep on helping them, which means the tool is not as effective for big brands. We don't have you know, a lot of the enterprise features that you would need, but that's a very conscious choice that we've made to focus on those industries. And I think it can be like really interesting to dig in also a bit on the, on that part because you've been in the business for a long time. So you you as you mentioned, like you you had like opportunities to to kind of go enterprise. So what kind of like pushed you towards saying, you know what, I want to focus on like smaller businesses because those enterprise deals are like not for me. Was it because of the time it takes to onboard enterprise? Was it like the structure and all their requirements, which can be a pain in the ass? <laughs> Or like, how, how did you come up with, uh, with choosing like the focus on SMBs? Yeah, it's interesting looking back and kind of doing an objective analysis of your own company because when you're in it, right, it's so emotional. You get tied to everything. You're like, this is going to be the thing that works. This is how we're going to cross the chasm like that book. And now we're going to have viral growth, right? And we never achieved that. And we still haven't. It's been very linear over 10 years, which is totally fine. Um, but when we did try to achieve that, it was usually through sales. And we tried twice in years three and four and five, actually. You know, so it kind of spanned a, a three-year stretch where we really brought in different teams of salespeople. We went really hard on outbound you know, tons of messaging calls. We did get people that were interested, but The sales cycle was super long. Uh, there was a lot of requirements around specificities of each quiz application, which basically meant like by the time we were done, we were building out completely different quizzes for each person. And at that point, we were an agency. And before my co-founders and I started, we were an agency and we knew we didn't want to go back to that because... It's just a rough existence, especially when you're building applications. People want so many different things. And by the time you're done with it, you're not even happy with what you made because the you know the clients have all these ideas and you're not able to bring your ideas to life, which is kind of crippling to the, the creative spirit that we really thrive on. So those were kind of the big reasons. It was super slow. Um, people wanted really specific stuff. And at the end of the day, by the time we got to the requirements that they actually wanted, in reality, it was really just that they wanted something built custom that integrated with all of their systems. And at that point, it's not even a software anymore. You're just building something and handing it over them to them to maintain. Maybe you could charge a maintenance fee, but we weren't interested in that. So we pretty much saw that that was the option on that side. And at the same time, there were these coaches and course creators who are using the product. We didn't even know who they were and they were having a lot of success with it. So we noticed that and that's why we decided to go that route. It's kind of the, the route of least resistance, which honestly, I feel like sometimes you have to do if you're bootstrapped because you can't afford to try to 
force things to work. You don't have millions of dollars to be like, let's make this work. Let's bring in the best experts. Let's push through. You kind of sometimes have to just go with what's working. And that's what we ended up doing. Nice. I think that's really interesting. And uh, I had like a, actually like similar experience like with like enterprise deals where you realize that you're slowly becoming like an agency and that you have to spend so much time doing like consulting and kind of like customize things, etc. So it's, uh, I understand like the, the pain and the frustration. Something I was uh, also discussing with uh, Andrew the other day, like uh, Andrew from MicroAcquire. Um, it's, it's basically like, uh, something that he did when he started like, uh, working on like a uh, micro acquire is put a list of people he wanted to work with. And I found it like uh, super interesting, like understanding who you want to serve, who you want to help first. So you can really focus on that niche and, uh, and enterprise most of the time is not like <laughs> the go-to for, uh, for bootstrap startups. And, um, I, I was curious cause how exactly, you know, like, uh, you told me it took you about like five years to go from zero to 1 million. Was it, uh, yeah. So yeah, six, six years, six years. So what was like kind of the, the, the first gross, um, strategy you used to, you know, like acquire your first customers and get scale to, to 1 million? Yeah. Yeah. So first we tried a few things that didn't work. The first thing that we did was we went on Upwork, uh, which was called Elance back then. And we found people who wanted quizzes to be built. We worked with them, but we ended up being an agency for that. And that was terrible. They would pay us like $200 and we'd spend two weeks building the quiz, which oh, obviously not going to pay your salary. Um, so that was attempt number one. And then we did do direct outreach. Uh, and at the time we were just trying to get people to use it even for free. Got nothing really like a handful of people out of thousands of messages sent. So that didn't work. Then I tried content marketing, but it was very broad. This was pretty early, like 2011, 2012. So it wasn't what it is now where everybody knows about content marketing. Back then it was a lot of like just write something that's popular and get traffic. So I did that and we did get traffic, but it wasn't converting. And then almost a desperation move, I guess it's like luck comes to the people that try the hardest type of thing. I just randomly wrote about how to make a personality quiz because I noticed no one really had a good just guide on that. And that's what got us our first customers. So I wrote that on a Friday night after we had been working on the product for a full year and we were about to graduate college. We had about a month left and we had zero revenue, but we didn't have any job. We had no backup. And so I just wrote that randomly. And then the next Monday we had three paid signups and then three nice. the next day and three the next day. And by the time we graduated, it was making like a couple of thousand bucks a month and we were able to, to swing it and work on it full time and not starve. <laughs> and that was, that was the very beginning. And then, yeah, from there it was just a bunch of failed attempts. We tried more content that didn't work because it was too similar to the original content. Then we, like I said, tried sales twice. That didn't work. We implemented some really, uh, really strong strategic help for our customers, which is something that we still do to this day is help our customers on the strategy side, which is not 
common in the SaaS world. Like we actually partner with people to think about quiz setup and strategy because no one, no one we work with has made a quiz before. So it's the first time for everyone. It's not like sending an email or writing a blog post where they've been doing it and now they're just doing it on a new tool. It's a completely new experience. So that was the second big thing that really helped us grow the content and then strategic help. And then the third thing that really helped us grow was doing a lot of partnerships with middle tier influencers. So people who have like a couple thousand followers, they are, you know, business coaches or strategists or marketing coaches. And we partner up with them to supply quizzes to their customers. And then we, you know, make an affiliate deal uh, through that. So those are the three pillars that really took us through. And then on the technical side, on the product, we've always had super robust integrations with all of the ecosystems. So the email marketing systems, website builders, all that kind of stuff. And then stability, which is like not something you would normally think of as a growth tool, but because quizzes are super viral, sometimes they'll just pop off and all of a sudden there'll be like a thousand people taking a quiz at the exact same moment in time, which from a database perspective is quite complicated. And we were the first ones to really be like, we're going to make sure our stuff is rock solid from the beginning. And even to this day, a lot of other quiz builders struggle with the stability aspect. And we've, we've really taken that one seriously. So yeah, it's kind of those, those five main things were what got us to a million. And then interestingly, since then, it's been just innovating on those five areas. We haven't necessarily launched substantial new ideas. We've just had people that come in and make those areas better and make it their own. That's, that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, like, um, so I, I like this strategy of you go to 1 million, you've seen and you've tested like so many things that you know what's working. So you decide to kind of like double down. Uh, I think like the working, you know, on the stability and something that might piss off your customers and make them happy and make your product reliable is great for trust and being in the business for like 10 years. I think this is something like you, you've built really well with uh, with your user base so like it's it's impressive and i'm i'm really curious to understand like um what goes through you know like uh you know like 10 years doing like the, the the same business and focusing you know on all those things like what are for you like the what were for you like the the kind of critical moments uh either where you thought that okay maybe we have to move maybe it's because In our audience, we have a lot of people, you know, who are bootstrapping their business. And there is always this thing of when, you know, you're building a startup, people want to tell you that everything needs to go quickly. It has to be like fast, et cetera, et cetera. But I see like for me, like your story is like super impressive because you've been super consistent. You've been focused. So what were like kind of the ingredients for you to keep that focus and keep, you know, like that, uh, that grind and consistency over time? Yeah. So, I mean, it hasn't been easy for sure. You know, that first five years, I think I rode the ups and downs a lot. Like I got really sucked into, you know, this is going well. Now it's not going well. Now it's going well. Now And every week it was just super up and down. Once we reached that five-year mark and we started to see some things start to work out, 
I actually took about give or take 18 months off, like maintained things, but really wasn't super involved in the business. Um, we brought in a great COO who to this day manages our company <laughs> excellently. Um, and I, I pretty much just like had to stop and take a break because it was incredibly burnt out, like adrenal fatigue. And just, it took months before, you know, I could even look at work again. <laughs> I had just spent my days like exercising and doing yoga and going on walks and talking to friends and stuff like it did that for, for a while. So I will say that that was, that was really the reality of what happened on the flip side, coming back, I think my focus and our focus as a company too, and we have this in our values now has really shifted to focusing on creating really excellent work and being less fixated on the outcomes. And so for me personally, a lot of that looks like writing. I love to write. And so, you know, focusing on my writing and that in turn helps the business because a lot of what I write about is, you know, our mission and our values and where we're heading. And so, you know, that's also my job as the CEO to do that. And everyone in our business really thrives on the same thing in their own areas. And each person in our company operates pretty independently, but also collaboratively. So each person is just getting better at their area of the business. So we're all able to enjoy that and grow and see the incremental progress, even if the growth is, you can't control it because, you know, even more recently, right? With COVID, the first year of COVID, we grew like crazy and a lot of companies did. The second year, it flattened out a lot. And a lot of those people who had come in and started companies during the first year, you know, decided not to continue for a variety of reasons. And so on our side, it's like, if we're riding the wave, that's incredibly hard. And it was still hard. It was not it was not easy, even though, you know, I had been through that. We'd been through that so many times before. It's still hard to see that. But the thing that makes it less of a roller coaster for me and for us is just having stuff that we enjoy making and creating, regardless of whether the company is, you know, on that rocket ship trajectory. And like I said, we never, I mean, I guess never is not accurate because we did grow very quickly from years five to eight, like six or six to eight, like six years to get to 1 million and then two to get to three. So it's like, it did, it did turn that corner. Um, but it's, it's not guaranteed. And so, yeah, a lot of it is really just what, what makes you tick and what do you actually enjoy? And for our team, it's, it's creating things and also just really helping people. Like we just did a kind of team exercise of like what makes work meaningful to you. And across the board, it was seeing my work benefit other people. And you can do that, whether you're growing hundred percent year over year or 10%. You can still do work that benefits other people. So it's a very long-winded answer to say. <laughs> no, but I really like it. I think it's. Uh, I think it's. It's cool, you know, like to see um, a bit. Like for me, it's important to have like uh, different type of stories because 
there is obviously like the, the success story that we see in the media of, you know, like uh, uh, skyrocket and exponential growth and all these things, which of course, you know, like is exciting, but I do think that, you know, like uh, having a different type of trajectory and, you know, like everything you did, I think shows like um, a great way of, you know, having your team together, making sure that you are aligned on the values and trying to understand what is like the, the most rewarding thing that people do. And, you know, for me, like the key takeaways of, of what you said, you know, it's like as, as a CEO, obviously like uh, your role is to know, you know, in which direction you want the company to head, make sure that your employees are happy and fulfilled And, you know, like try to always like um, not always focus on things that you can't control. So the outcome of whatever you're doing, like it's a lot out of your control. But, you know, like the, the output is something that you can always improve like a craft. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's really inspiring because a lot of people, you know, like um, when, when and even for founders, you know, I've interviewed and, you know, they grew their company to hundred millions of revenue or things like that. And, you know, in the end, sometimes I feel like they get lost with just the numbers and the growth. And the, the issue when that happens is like when they exit their company, they're totally lost and they don't know like, uh, okay, like I'm going to go and do consulting. But in the end, that's not what they really like, you know, and asking yourself what you like and focus, you know, on, uh, on the things that kind of like passionate you and everything. Like, uh, I think it's, it's super cool. And I'm, I'm just wondering, like, because uh, you, you were talking a lot about how you help, like, uh, your customers um, and how exactly is, uh, is structured your team right now? Do you have, like, dedicated people for onboarding or how does that work? Yeah, so uh, I was just having a conversation with some of my team about this a couple of days ago where we purposely balance our team out. It's pretty much 50-50 on development and customer success and customer, you know, just making sure our customers are happy and having good success with the product. And what that means on the negative side is that we're slower on building new features. We are not outsourcing all of our support and, you know, it takes two days to get a reply, but we have all these features. Instead, what we've done is we've balanced the company out. So we have dedicated people who are doing technical support. So if there's anything on that, but we also have dedicated people who are full-time coaches and strategists who help our customers implement quizzes. So someone can come in and now we have a community where you can ask questions and get peer feedback as well. You come in, you do a 15 minute call with one of our coaches, you get an idea of what a good setup for your quiz is going to be. You can go off and work on that. We have full courses and things like that for people to access if they're the DIY type as well. And then you go into the community and we have this full range of experts, everything from copywriters to web designers to Facebook ad strategists, technical support, funnel strategists. And they'll just basically walk you through. And every time you have a new iteration of your quiz test out, they'll put it in there, you get feedback on it, and then you launch it. And you know, we just found that our customers, because it's something that's so new and this makes total sense, like it's so new, you're trying something brand new. It's core part of your business because for most of our customers, the email list is kind of the lifeblood of how they grow. So you're trusting us with a lot. So we dedicate full-time people to 
literally just helping on strategy. And those people, you know, they have a background in technical support, yes, to help with that, but also in like empathy and conversational marketing and, you know, the full design of a funnel and how coaches work and how, so they have a deep understanding. And a lot of our team members also have side projects where they are coaches themselves, or they are, you know, building small companies on the side. And we totally encourage that. Um, and so that helps them just really understand our customers that much better. That, that's interesting. Uh, and yeah, like, um, so you're encouraging people like, uh, working for you to kind of like dig deeper into like the industry and potentially like start like their side business. So, so they can actually like help even further down like, uh, your customers. And I'm, I'm actually like, uh, wondering, cause we talked a lot about, you know, like the quizzes and how you help people set up and how quizzes are just like totally different than, you know, like, uh, writing because if you change like a, a blog platform i mean it's easy you have the skills of writing you can like continue to do that but if you have to start a quiz you need like the skills so if if we had to give like uh, to our listeners like uh, really actionable tips on a quiz like what are kind of like the steps of launching a quiz creating it building your funnels like if you had to walk us through a bit like the the process Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I still do this with customers just to keep sharp. So every like month or so, I'll just randomly work with a customer and go through the whole process. So this is what we do. We basically, we sit down and they visualize what questions would they ask a new customer in real life. So if you're sitting down with a brand new client and you're trying to figure out which services they would need, which courses they would need, you know, what, what, how can I help them? Right. And we like to think about it as like the coffee shop analogy. So imagine you run a coffee shop, someone comes in, they've never tried coffee before, and you're trying to help them figure out which coffee they should be drinking, you know, which of the, and in the States, we're a little different with our coffee drinking. <laughs> we do a lot of drip coffee, uh, not so much espresso. So that doesn't translate over super well. Um, we, well, we can use back. the skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the only one that's the drip coffee. I realize that. Um, so we can do skincare as an analogy instead. So someone walks in, they're like, I need to take care of my skin. What are you going to ask them? What do, what do you need to know in order to walk over to that shelf, pull down a couple of products and be like, try these two products. You'll notice a difference in you know three days. Like I, I guarantee it because you've never used skincare before. This is exactly what you need. Or they come in and they're like quite advanced. They have a whole skincare routine. And you need to be like, oh, here's an advanced peel you can use. Here's, you know, some microdermabrasion you can use for, you know, advanced skincare. Make sure that skin really shines. Take it to the next level. And those are totally different people. If you just ask those two people to come in and stare at a wall of products, they're both going to be seeing things that aren't relevant to them. And that's not a great experience. And there's the whole super old jam study from Stanford where you know, this person was at a farmer's market and they put out 10 jams and people didn't buy. Then they eliminated seven of them and they only had three options and people bought. And so that's what we want to get to. We want to get to three options in the end. It can be less. And when we walk through it, it's really just, what do you need to know? And as soon as you say that, for the vast majority of people, they're like, oh, that makes way more sense. I know what I need to ask people Oftentimes you already have a client intake questionnaire. You just wouldn't think of that being a good quiz. So you take that, 
Those are your questions. Your outcomes of your quiz are just the personas, right? So in the skincare, you might have the advanced skincare person, the beginner and the intermediate, or you might do it based on skin types, whatever your buckets of customers are. And, you know, that's also a great exercise if you haven't done it to think about who are my customers and what buckets do they fall into? And you want to have like three to five of those in your quiz. You can make it more, but that makes it more complicated. Uh, then you create seven questions, which is kind of the magic number uh, out of your you know questions that you would ask somebody if you were actually talking to them. And then the title of the quiz is really simple. It's usually just what type of blank works best for you. So mm. if it's skincare products, what type of skincare products works best for you? Uh, if it's marketing tools, what type of marketing tools work best for you? And then, you know, you can make it a little more general, like Jenna Kutcher is one of our customers and she has a great quiz. That's just, what's your secret sauce. And then from there, she connects it up to different courses and tools and resources that she has, which is great. Um, and that's that's really the long and short of it. The opt-in form that comes up at the end of the quiz. You just want to let people know what benefit you're going to be offering them by getting on your list. And ideally, you send different emails to people based on you know what type they are. And that's that's the basics of it. And obviously, that's a lot of elements to create. And that's why we've poured so many of our resources into having strategy help on our side, having resources you can access on your own or the community or the strategist, because each of those elements, we break them down and you know you can come in and learn about just writing titles. You can come in and learn about just writing questions or results. You can get feedback from our experts or community about each of those elements. So you can break it down into steps rather than being like, whoa, this is a lot and I am overwhelmed. So I can do it one piece at a time. And usually like uh, what people do is that they, they would create their quiz, then like uh, kind of push it uh, to a specific audience with ads. And, uh, and then based on that, they would collect leads and then send the, the right emails. Is that correct? Yeah. So actually in our space, right, with the, the coaches, the course creators, the e-commerce brands, a lot of them, what they're doing is they're just having it live front and center on their website. So... If you go back to the skincare analogy, you have an online skincare store. It's basically like you being on the front page of your website, asking people questions. And it's less tacky than those old school websites where people used to walk onto the screen. <laughs> and you can have a little bit of a conversation and, and connect in that way. And that, you know, no, not, we don't guarantee results, but a lot of people, when they launch, they're seeing like double or triple the opt-in rates of what they had before. And it's also a great way to recommend and sell products and services because it's personalized. So that's the number one thing is front and center on the site. And then, yeah, we do have a lot of people that run ads. And like I said, we have an ads expert in our community who helps with that. And then uh, organic posts as well, because we have an organic expert in our community who provides a bunch of templates so you can schedule out, you know, sharing your quiz organically over time as well. That's, that's really interesting because at first uh, I would have thought, you know, that would people that would focus really like a lot on ads, but if they are putting in on their website, I'm assuming that usually like people don't really churn uh, because, you know, they have to have that quiz like for a long time. And so 
across the years, like churn, was it like a challenge for you? Or in the end, you felt like it's quite a sticky product because once it's there, it's there. Yeah. So it's, it's fallen over time. It started out very high at like 10% month over month, which is completely unsustainable. <laughs> um, and over the last uh, 10 years, it's fallen pretty gradually. And it's at about five and a half, closer to five now, um, which is just incredible for it to just continue falling like that. So you just debate. Yeah. And basically what happens is if they don't churn in the first three months, then churn is close to zero. Nice. And what that means is if the quiz is not set up and launched properly, then they'll churn because that's, that's what's happening in the first three months is the setup and the launch. That's why we put so many resources towards that because we don't want our customers to be having this experience where they come in, they're excited, and then you know, it lets them down. And so we, we put a lot of emphasis on that, but yeah, once they, once they get it launched and it's up and running, we have customers who are on year seven, eight, nine now. Um, and every, yeah, every year they'll update, make, you know, tweaks to the quiz, modernize it a little bit. Um, but the beauty of it is like, because it is dynamic by nature, it's just something you can use for a really long time. It's, it's really interesting because, um, Uh, something I want to jump on is, uh, you know, when you mentioned like people don't churn after like, uh, you know, like three months, uh, if they, if they've been using like, uh, the tool and this is a benefit, like they don't churn. Um, I, I think what's interesting with churn is how you, how you present it. Cause usually like, um, when you see, for example, like, uh, VC back startup or whatever. So I've got like a lot of friends who have raised tens of millions of dollars. And when I was talking to them, you know, about churn, the way they talk about it, you know, makes you feel like uncomfortable about your churn because you feel like it's high, etc. But the truth is like people whenever, and especially like VC back companies, like, which is quite funny because they kind of like change the numbers. They, they would say that they have no churn or it's like 0%. And then afterwards it's like, Yeah, but the way we calculate churn, it's only users who have stayed like more than six months with us, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's nice that you've explained like the, the two different cases and segments. And in the end, I think it, uh, it's also interesting to see like, um, you know, like I'm guessing that to reduce churn, you're like investing heavily in the onboarding, as you said. And is it kind of like your, your strategy um, in the long run to have like this onboarding process the best as possible So you are sure that the users who just like sign up will stay like for seven or eight years, like uh, some of your customers. Yeah. And I think it also just goes back to our team and what our team values and everyone on our team, you know, when we ask like what makes work meaningful to you, the, the number one answer is helping people be successful, especially helping our audience because our audience is a lot of people trying to start businesses. Another one of our values is trying to have a customer base that reflects the makeup of the world, which we're not there, but we're working towards that. And that excites our team a lot to basically come alongside and help people who are trying to start companies. And that's in line with making sure that they're successful with a quiz because at this point, we've seen that the quiz can completely transform a business. There's one customer who followed up with me about a year ago and she was like, after launching my quiz, my list grew by a ton. My business 
like grew like crazy. I got a book deal. I'm basically living my dream life now. And it started with the quiz. And that's not an uncommon story for us because it does make such an impact on that list growth. And then that impacts everything else in turn. So yeah, it's, it's both, it's both, you know, like Jim Collins is big on the, the good to great guy is big on the, the and rather than the, or like it's both because we want to help people. And that really lights us all up. And it's a great business strategy because once we get people over that initial onboarding process, like I said, the churn is extremely low and that just makes it a super sustainable business for the long run. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think like um, a key takeaway for me, like in, in what you said, and it's, I think a lot of people who are building SaaS products, especially when they are targeting SMBs, so like smaller businesses, because they have like this, lower like revenue and people are not paying that much they tend to think that the only important thing is you know like that it's self-service that you don't have to talk about like to your customers that everything is done like very smoothly and that you are not involved at all but actually like um what's really interesting in your case is in the long run like if you have customers who stayed for six to eight years um, the LTV, like lifetime value is huge. So it actually makes sense to have like these customers and spend like a lot of time in the onboarding, making sure like they are successful, educating them, giving them the best practice, because if they stay and if they can stay that long, it means that you are delivering like tons of value. And if you can like show to more people and help more people like see this value, then down the line, like uh, you're going to get more like word of mouth. You're going to be able to get less churn, more happy customers and, uh, and you win in the end. Like, so no, really, really cool. I want to go back before, cause I know like time, uh, time is flying and um, I'm curious like to, to kind of like understand also like those, those 10 years you mentioned, like you had like a, a really tough time where you had to, to kind of like take a step back and, uh, for 18 months and, you know, like, uh, have someone like joined as like the, the COO. And I've seen like uh, a lot of people kind of moving a bit away, like CEOs, like moving a bit away from the operation. So I'm curious, like, how did you figure out who to hire? Um, how did the transition go and how did the transition going back to the business and being more focused, like go as well? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really great question. And it all, it all fits together because early on in the business, I was burning out super hard, like two years in, and I was introduced to a business coach and I started meeting with him. And so that was during the time when everything was just up and down. And he was a great partner in just honestly listening to me complain every week about how, you know, sales were up, sales were down, sales were up, sales were down. And that probably went on for like three years. And then when things finally turned the corner and got a little better, you know, I was so exhausted. It was like, you know, collapsing in a heap kind of deal. And, you know, I had still been meeting, meeting with the business coach. So we had known each other for maybe three years at that point. Um, and he had introduced me to, are now COO and we had been, you know, just having coffee chats every 
you know, few months. Uh, she's in the startup world for a long time, has been uh, in the C-suite for quite a long time and lots of experiences in bigger companies as well. So we were just kind of chatting. She was giving me advice. Um, and it was just a super helpful relationship. And then I basically just explained the situation to her uh, when I when I hit that point, and we were also having some other tumults within the team. And she was like, well, I can come in and see if I can be helpful. Um, and it was just like an immediate perfect fit. She came in, took over everything, and you know, it was awesome. And so that gave me a chance to kind of take a step back and take a break. And then since I've reemerged, you know, it's it's really helpful to be able to have real conversations with people because you know we often talk about you know the dynamics of working together and you know our CTO as well. So the, there's three of us at the C level, and we just you know constantly are talking about you know, how things are going, how we're feeling our perceptions of things. And like, I mean, it's tough running this business, like, especially because we deal with data, like we're constantly having to deal with, you know, stuff that's, that's really, really hard. Um, so yeah, we, we just have a lot of conversations about things. We talk about, you know, everything as it's changing and we have consistent meetings to just talk about the progress and where each of our heads is at. And so it's been, really, really smooth coming back in just because we do have those conversations. Like it's not an easy thing to do, but I think when you're able to actually just talk about everything and not have like, you know, this stuff hanging in the air of like, how are you feeling about this? How are you feeling? It's just like, well, here's what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? And we have those conversations all the time, um, like all the time. And that's, that's made it just the easiest process. Nice. Yeah. I think like, uh, it seemed that you found like this really like great balance with, uh, you know, like having someone that can also help you like bounce ideas and be totally like transparent on, on everything. So I think it's, it's super important because, you know, like in a startup, like you're, I think like co-founder, I think you're, your CEO can be like uh, considered almost as a co-founder, like uh, right now or C-level. I think it's the most important part because you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs and you need like people you can count on. So this relationship must be like uh, based on trust and must be like really like worked on as the years pass by. And, you know, like growing a team over 10 years, how do you like keep your team like motivated? Like, is it based because... I think like what was interesting of what about like uh, what you said a bit earlier, you know, it was I'm focusing on making my team happy and I'm focusing, you know, on helping them become the best at what they do. So how, what's like very specific things you are like doing to actually make them stay with you? Because in the end, as you said, like the, the, the better your team gets, uh, the more value they have for your customers and for the company. So how do you make sure like to to keep this environment so they stay in the long run. Yeah. Um, there's a cute few like really key points on that one. First one is, uh, I don't know if you've read stuff by uh, Patrick Lencioni, like death by meeting. He has some other books. Uh, one of his books is a, a fable about a team that falls apart and that team falls apart because one person on the team is not a direct communicator and there's a conflict and it gets swept under the rug and then it's it's a fable but a year later the entire team falls apart and we have experienced things like that 
in past versions of the Interact team. And it's something that we really vet for now when, you know, we're bringing people on or, you know, just in general, it's something that's super important to us. Like, clear, direct communication. It's like the Brene Brown thing of, you know, clear is kind. And so we try to just be super clear about, you know, where things are at, what each person's role is. And the other thing too, is just listening to what people are wanting to do. And, you know, you can't, you can force people to do things, but it doesn't really serve anybody that well. And so, on our team, you know, people shift roles a lot. You know, we have a, a small core team, like we're, uh, let's see, 11 full time. Um, so it's, it's still a very small team and roles shift around a lot. And a lot of the reason why roles shift around is just learning what people want to do and what, what they want to learn and what they want to become expert at. And if somebody's in a role where they want to become expert at that, that role, then you don't you don't have to convince them to stay. Yeah. <laughs> they're here because they're getting to learn and become a better version of themselves in their role. Like, and that's that's what everyone's after at the end of the day. Like, you know, you know, bettering themselves and and helping other people. And if each person is in a role where that's possible. And then if they feel like they're no longer in a role where that's possible, then we can have a conversation and they can shift roles. And that happens like all the time, which I think is super important because just because somebody switches over from one role to the other doesn't mean that they have less value now or like they're going to have to relearn. Sure, there's stuff to relearn, but it's super valuable to have people on the team for three, four, five years. And that's that's something that we really value. So I would say it comes down to clear, direct communication and uh, just listening to what people actually want to do. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's really cool. And the, the transition, cause you mentioned like, okay, you can switch job or like uh, switch position. So how, like, do you have like a process for that? Like, is it uh, me taking your role? So I'm going to like learn from you for a bit. And after that we switch or how does that work? Or is it like, maybe like one person, uh, going into the product department because they were in marketing and they want to do more product or in support and they want to do more product. So how does that go exactly? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of, uh, it does come down to communication a lot because it takes some time to either backfill the position, which we do sometimes, right? So someone will move over to a new role and then we need to hire someone else to fill that role. That's usually what happens now. In the past, it was more like, if someone's going to switch over, then maybe myself or my co-founder will step in and take the role for a little while until we can fill it again. Um, so yeah, it's it's more of a gradual process of, hey, I'm I'm thinking I might be interested in doing something else. I'm I'm feeling unfulfilled or burnt out or whatever it is in my current role. And then we have a conversation about okay, well, what makes the most sense? And it's not always even clear like what the new role is or what it is exactly. Cause roles aren't so defined as like, okay, you're just like a product marketing manager, you know, the way it would be at a big company. It's often more like, well, I want to learn more of marketing or I want to learn more of product. So then we kind of work together to figure out what that new role is while we're also figuring out how to backfill what they were doing and find somebody who's really passionate about doing, you know, the previous job they had. So 
that's that's generally how it goes. It's a slow process. That's no really. I think really interesting, and I like. I really like your approach, and I think like as a founder, it's super valuable like to understand that the more people in your company are staying, like the more value they can have, like no matter which department they're in. And if they are in your team, it means that you've trusted them towards like doing something that, you know, brings value and no matter which department. So switching is, uh, is definitely like interesting. I like the view. <laughs> um, before we kind of like, uh, wrap up, I, I like to ask like, uh, three, uh, three questions. Um, the first one is, um, what's your favorite, uh, book or podcast that you would recommend to, uh, another bootstrap entrepreneur? Yeah. Well, since you said book and podcast, I'm going to cheat and do both. Um, book <laughs> is, uh, 4,000 weeks. Uh, it's a book on anti-productivity and then podcast is called acquired. It's a story of, it's, it's stories of companies. Nice. I, uh, I need to check both. <laughs> um, second question is, uh, who's your favorite bootstrap founder and why? Yeah. The one that I follow the most and have for the entirety of this company is Rand Fishkin. And the reason why is he's really open about the successes and the failures. Like he's not he's not holding back of like, oh, we are just doing this and we're amazing. It's very, very transparent around that and also the strategies that he uses. And so I just really appreciate that. Yeah, I think his book, uh, Lost and Founder is, uh, is a great, like, uh, story about like ups and downs and yeah, he went through crazy stuff. <laughs> nuts. Yeah, it's nuts. And, uh, the, the last thing is, um, what's like the, the one or two things that you really enjoy doing to kind of like regain energy in the, in the tough times? Yeah. Yeah. I really love being outdoors and being in nature and hiking and then spending time with people having just like real heart to heart conversations and just like remembering that the business is what it is and it might be here and it might not, but you know, relationships and people really are what matters. And that, that always helps me reset. I love it. Yeah, very true. <laughs> Can't add anything more to that. It's a great ending. <laughs> nice. um, so, so Josh, like, uh, where can people follow you, get in touch with you and, uh, what's the best way for, for them to do that? Yeah, totally. Like I said, I've been trying to write more. So I'm on LinkedIn. You can look for me under Josh Hainum. I'm the only person in the world with that name. So nice, <laughs> very unique <laughs> last name. <laughs> so there, uh, I'm on Twitter a little bit less. Still trying to figure that one out. And then, uh, our website is interact. So try interact.com for all the quiz stuff. If you're interested in checking that out. Awesome. Well, Josh, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for being on the bootstrap stories podcast and, uh, I'll see you later. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Stories, the only podcast where bootstrap entrepreneurs share their journey in all transparency. If you enjoyed this episode, don't hesitate to leave us a review. And in case you want to see the interview, all episodes are live on the YouTube channel. Check out the link in the description and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Have an amazing day and make sure to also join us in our amazing bootstrap community where we all helped each other to become successful and grow a profitable business. Take care and talk to you soon. <laughs>